0: If you'd open your Bibles with me to Joshua chapter 24, page 308. Well, it is. I'm looking. While you're turning there, a number of months ago, actually, as a phone conversation I had with Tim McWilliams, I uh, rented this the movie Courageous and viewed it. And really for the first time, I'd been so busy when it was out and in the movie theaters that I hadn't really had a chance to go see it. And it just really deeply moved me. While I was watching it, I really felt God speak to me and say, you need to do something about or around this on Father's Day. And so, God, there were some specific things in there that I really felt the Spirit of God brought out to me. And then uh, we had a, a movie night a couple of months ago to show this to kind of prepare the way for what we're going to do this morning. Mother's Day and Father's Day, most of what we do around those really is commercial. I mean, a lot of it, what's behind it is is the the flower industry and the card industry so that they can sell flowers and cards and candy and all that good stuff, and that's fine, and and, and neckties. (laughs) But today is about so much more than cards and neckties and cookouts and things like that. And there's nothing wrong with those. Those things are wonderful. We're having a cookout. We're so blessed to have our, of all our four children, we have our oldest son, Christopher, is here. Actually, he and his wife are on staff here. Now, our grandchildren in the school, it's a tremendous blessing. And um, some of the things that, you've in fact, if you're going to do something at the end of the service about resolution, you'll probably meet him. Um, uh, we have other children that are not here. They're in other parts of the country, and they're a blessing to us. God's really has blessed us. So we're going to have a cookout, and we're going to have that, that kind of thing. And so there's nothing wrong with celebrating that. But if that's all you think Father's Day is, we miss it. I mean, Every day should be Father's Day. Amen. But what's in my heart is not so much to honor us although we're going to do that, but I really believe God's challenging us as fathers. So why do we treat the mothers differently than the fathers? Well, if you look historically... The mothers of the church have borne not only their role, but in many cases the role of the men. We're going to see an example of that way back in the Egyptian days. And so it's the fathers that in many ways are set the tone. We're called to be leaders. And if we're not leading, then everything else gets out of balance, out of order. But when a man leads his household, God can begin to establish the order in that household, and his blessing flows through that order. Not just his blessing, but his purposes flow through that. So we're going to look today, start on Joshua 24, which is where this song comes from. And then we're going to move into some, show you some basically what's involved, some simple instruction. And then we're going to act on what we've heard this morning. So Joshua 24. One of the things that disturbs me, I've been aware of some of these statistics, but I looked up some statistics you drive around, and you go into malls, and you, you see the young people, the young, younger generations. And it's not just teenagers. It can be in the 20s and even in the 30s, which to me is a young generation. And you see this lost look, this hopeless look, this, this purposeless look on their faces. And, and, and it grieves me, but it's overwhelming at times. But what startled me was when I discovered this statistic that two thirds of the children that grow up in church are taught in church, go to children's church, Sunday school, whatever you call it. When they become adults, two thirds of them leave the church. Two thirds. We're not talking about going into the world and drawing young people in. We're talking about young people God has given to us and we've blown it for two-thirds of them. Why? Why? That statistic grieves me. One of the reasons I believe is that we're out of order. See, when you get in order, things work right. You know what it's like, ladies, when all the laundry piles up in one side of the washing machine and it goes into the spin cycle and the washing machine drenches across the floor? Why? Because it's out of order. It's, not, it's out of balance. God has an order, God has, and out of that order comes a balance. If we get in God's order, it works because God's ordained that order. Not only that, but God can work through that order to accomplish His will. And that's what this is all about. Did I give you enough time to find Joshua 24? Yes. Yeah. All right, good. Well, I'm not going to go through this whole story because it's kind of important background. But the children of Israel have now, have now been brought into the Promised Land. God has, through them, conquered the nations in there that He ordained for them to conquer, and they've occupied the land. So they've, they've gone through the battle, they've won their battle, they've established their, their, their nation in the land God had given back to them, and now it's time to go on with life. And Joshua calls the tribes together and goes back in this chapter and reviews for them all the things God's done for them. And we're not going to go back over those things, but we're going to pick up in verse 13. God speaking. I've given you the land for which you did not labor, cities for which you did not build, and you dwell in them, and you eat the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now therefore fear the Lord, respect Him, honor Him, serve Him in sincerity and truth, put away the gods of your fathers, the gods your, which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Because what happened is they began to serve the gods of the people that they lived among. When they were in Egypt, they began to serve the gods of Egypt. And when they left Egypt, went through the wilderness, and came up through the nations of Edom and Moab and Mount Seir, and up through that area, they took a time, and they dwelt in those lands for periods of time. They began to take on their gods. You and I dwell in a foreign land. Oh, we're Americans... But the Bible says when you're a Christian, you're part of a kingdom that's not of this world, just as Jesus' kingdom was not of this world. So we're in this world, but we're not to be of this world. And the world that we live in worships other idols. It may not be little statues, it may be pleasure. It may be, our, it may be the things of the flesh, it may be pride, it may be ambition, it may be just material things. Those are all idols. And we live in a nation that worships them highly. And the challenge is that so much of the church has begun to adopt the idols and worship the gods of this world. So this applies to us. Just because you don't have statues sitting in your house does not mean that you're not worshiping other gods. Verse 15. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorite who was in the land you dwell. This is Joshua saying, you choose who you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, as for me and my house, says Joshua, who was the leader, we will serve the Lord. Notice it starts with a declaration. I'm determining that for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I suggest you today, without that kind of declaration and commitment, you may have the best of intentions, but you will not do it. See, intentions don't count. You need them, but you can't spend intentions. You can't go to the grocery store and get all your groceries together... And get to the checkout counter and say, I intended to bring my wallet. I came here fully intending to pay for it. They're going to be grateful for your intentions, but they're going to say, take the food back until you can act on your intentions. It's interesting, when Jesus gives to John, the Apostle John, his report card for, this first, for the seven churches in those first few chapters of the book of Revelation, he doesn't talk about the intention of the churches. He talks about what they did and what they didn't do. So, so often we look at our intentions and we excuse not doing what we intend because we have good intentions. Say, well, the Lord looks on the heart, not the outer man. We misuse that scripture. That's in terms of judging what you're capable of doing, but not in terms of judging what you do. God doesn't measure you by your intentions. Now, I'm not talking about being saved. I'm talking about doing God's will in your life. So let's look at what this is all about. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to see what's at stake here, what's involved here. Genesis 3. See, we... we, You know, we, we... look at Christian, maybe Christian TV, we talk about things, we look at maybe get some magazines, and, you know, we we, we look at the problem today of, of what's happening in the world around us, what's happening in our families, just that statistic I gave you, well, you know, it's our society, it's they took prayer out of school, and all those things may be true, there's a factor in that, and, you know, the government's not doing what it needs to do, and all those things, really those are ways of blaming everybody else. It's overwhelming the government's against us the, the school systems against us what can we do what about God <laughs> what can he do through one act of obedience Romans 5 says through one act of obedience God redeemed all of mankind don't say what can I do what can I alone do You alone and I alone can be obedient to what God's called us to do and then watch what God can do through us. All right. Genesis chapter 3, very familiar story. We're not going to go through the whole thing. Of course, this is where Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Now God shows up on the scene and requires an accounting of what's happened. And he's talked to the man. He's talked talked to the woman. Now he's going to talk to the serpent. Verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this thing, you're cursed more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. You shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity, anger, hatred between you, the serpent, who we'll see is Satan, and the woman, and look at this, and between your seed and her seed. Now notice in most Bibles that seed is capitalized with an S. And he, so it tells us this one, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now what God is announcing is his redemption. He's announcing that there's a Messiah, a Deliverer, a Redeemer coming and he's going to come born out of a woman. And he's going to be your enemy. And there will be enmity between you and all of your prodigy, prodigy, and there's going to be progeny, and your enemy, and all, and between her seed. Now, specifically, that's talking about the Messiah, but we're going to see that it's be it's more than that. Now, that's that's Genesis chapter three. Go with me to the other side, of the end of the book, Revelation chapter twelve. We're going to get a view from heaven back on this. Now a great sign appeared in the heaven and a woman clothed in the sun. Notice it's a woman. And with the moon in her feet and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Now I've looked at different commentaries about who this woman is. There are some theories that say it's Israel. Some say it's the church. And it may be those. But I believe what this is is this is exactly what was talked about in Genesis 3. This is the woman. This is, this is us. This is mankind. And he's talking about us. Verse 2, Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. If we went on and read read more carefully back in Genesis 3, part of what God says, You shall bring forth your seed in labor and in pain. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon... Having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. That's crowns. And his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. That's the angels, a third of the angels. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth. And she stood before, look at this, to devour her child as soon as it was born. From Genesis 3 on, he is after that seed. Here, he's specifically after the seed that would come from her, which is to deliver the Redeemer of all mankind. He knows who he's after because God announced where that was coming from. So his determination is to devour the child as soon as it was born. So she bore a male child who was to rule the nation, all the nations, with a rod of iron. That just means firmness. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Now go over with me to verse 12. Because what happens then is God casts this serpent, which he says is Satan, out of heaven to the earth. Verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heaven. So he's talking to heaven now. Rejoice, and you who dwell in them, Why? Because the serpent's been cast out of heaven. But woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath. Why? Because he knows his time is short. You've noticed pressure has built up. If you notice, there's more pressure in people's lives. There's more pressure, especially against the younger generations. Why? Because Satan is at war against us, and he knows his time is short. So he has to put concentrated effort into it. That becomes important to us in a few minutes. Let's go over to verse 17. I've got to skip some of it. And the dragon was enraged with the woman... And he went about to make war, we talked about what he did with the Messiah, but he went about to make war with the rest of her offspring. That's our children. That's our young people. He went about to make war with the rest of our offspring, who? Who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony or the word of Jesus Christ. Satan is after our children. Why? Because they have God's commandments. And their purpose is to declare the testimony of Jesus Christ. And therefore, Satan has marked our families and especially our children. I'm walking us through this because I want you to understand it's not the school system. It's not the government. He may use those things, but that's not who our enemy is. Ephesians 6 says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers in heavenly places. So those... Satan and His spiritual forces are our enemy because He's made our children His target. It's important to understand who your enemy is, who your opposition is. It's important to understand you have one. Things don't just happen. We are in a war. If you go to Exodus chapter 1, don't take the time to go there. Well, let's, let, yeah, let's do it, because I want you to see this. Exodus 1. We're going back and forth in our Bible. That's okay. Some of your Bible's binding may crack a little bit, because it's not used to it, but that's okay. I'm not looking at it anymore. Exodus 1, verse 15. The king of Egypt is worried, because what's happened is the children of Israel got more and mightier than the Egyptians. So in verse 15, the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives of whom the, the name of one of them was Shiphrah and the other was Pua. And he said, who do you, who, when you do the duties of a midwife, in other words, birthing, the, of the, for the Hebrew women, and you sit on with them on the birth stools, if it's a son, then you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, then they, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. Notice that. They reverenced God more than the king and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called to the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are strong and lively. Give birth before the midwives can come. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives. Notice the women are standing up for the church in those days. And he provided a blessing for the households because of the midwives. Look at verse 22. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son, who was every son, every seed, who was born, you bear, you shall cast in the river, and every daughter you shall keep alive. And the man of the house, chapter 2, of Levi, went and took a wife of the daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she made an ark of bulrushes, that's a container, and and daubed it with asphalt and pitch and put the child in it and laid the wreaths by the riverbank and then she released it into God's care. What's happening here? This is Satan moving through the government to destroy the seed. He knows there's a deliverer coming. He knows there's one coming to del- deliver, each, deliver the children of Egypt out of his Israel, out of the Egyptian bondage, and he's after that seed before he can grow up. Notice that, and he's indiscriminate. In order to destroy that seed, he'll kill every male child. Turn with me now to Matthew, chapter two. Go back the other direction now. I'm not going to go through this whole story. It starts out, of, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of um, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, what, that there was a king of the Jews born, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And he gathered the chief priests and the scribes and the people together and inquired of them where this deliver, where this Christ could be born. And they gave him a prophecy, which we're not going to go into. And so what happens is he calls the wise men in back to him, and he says, "When when when you find this son, this child, come and tell me where he is, because I want to go and worship him." Lie, 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 lie. He wasn't going to worship him; he wanted to kill him. Why? Because he heard there was a king, a deliverer coming, and he wanted to destroy him. But again, notice—I want you to understand—it wasn't Pharaoh, and it wasn't Herod. Ultimately, it was Satan working through them to destroy the seed. We saw in the beginning in Genesis and we saw in Revelation that hatred on Satan's part because that seed is a deliverer to restore mankind from what he had just stolen from them. And that's what's going on today. Verse 12, we'll go down to verse 12. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, this was the the, the wise men, they departed for their own country another way. When they had departed, verse 13, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So no matter what Satan's strategy is, God is at least one step ahead of him. If we'll listen to him. Oh, this is good. God was preparing the father to save the child from the destruction that Satan wanted to bring through Herod. Gave him a dream. Warned him in the dream to take that young child... And flee to Egypt. This father listened to the voice of God. And because he listened to the voice of God, that seed was preserved. Now what was at stake in that obedience? The entire salvation of mankind. So what if that father decided to do something else and not pay attention to what God was telling him to do or to put it off and do it later? Where would we all be? See, we don't recognize as men or as women also, but I'm talking to the men this morning. We don't recognize that there's so much at stake in the choices and decisions we make every day. They don't just affect me. God has made us so we're interdependent on each other. Not only does your family depend on you, but there are people that depend on your family that you may not even know about. And that's the decisions you make as a father affect your family, and that family affects other people. And because we don't see that, we think, hey, I can go do that. Who's going to know? It's just me and the computer screen." Who's good? Who? This, this is just a personal preference of mine. What difference will that make? Satan is a deceiver. There's much at stake in the choices we make as men of God. And this father chose to listen to what God told him, and God's plan of redemption was not destroyed because a man obeyed the voice of God. We think, well, God can do what he wants, but this was his plan for his son to take on flesh and dwell among us. For all kinds of reasons we don't have time to get into this morning. All right, let's go on. And he was there, verse 15 said, until God told him to come back. Verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men was exceedingly angry, sent forth and put to death all the male children who were born in Bethlehem and in all the districts from two years old and under, according to the time which was determined by the wise men. So here we see again that Satan, we've seen in Genesis and then in Revelation, we see his anger at the seed of woman. All right. All of this we walk through because what I want you to see this morning is that we are in a war. Amen. And if you don't realize you're in a war, you won't fight. No. Yeah. Until World War One, most of the wars, at least the ones I'm aware of, were fought by professional soldiers out on the battlefield. So you knew if you were going to be in a war, because all you had to is look at what you were wearing. You're wearing a uniform. Yeah. You either signed up for it or you were conscripted or brought, dragged in, but you knew you were in the army. You knew you were in the army, and therefore you knew you could end up in a war, so when they shot at you, you weren't shocked. Not only that, they prepared you for it. Those of you who've been in the military, you know, they took you through. They didn't just send you out with a rifle, out on the battlefield, and say, go ahead, shoot somebody, because you'll most likely shoot yourself or one of your compatriots. So they put you through a training Part of the training was to wake you up and realize, first day of boot camp, you realize, I'm in a different world. I have to get up at 5 a.m. I didn't know there was a 5 a.m. It's all designed to shock you and wake you up that things have changed. You're going to be in a war, and you need to be awake when you're going to be in a war because they're shooting at you. And part of the preparation is they take you through a course where they're shooting tracer bullets over your head. I don't know they still do that. to So you understand what it's like when there's ammunition actually going over your head so you don't freak out and stand up. Right. Which is not the smartest thing to do when they're shooting over your head and you're crawling on the ground. That's r- natural warfare. But there's a spiritual warfare going on that's more real and more important because it has an eternal consequence. And they're bullets being shot. They're not lead bullets and metal bullets. They're spiritual bullets. They're words. They're spiritual forces. And they're aimed, the target. See, it's not fair. Satan doesn't shoot at soldiers. Oh, my point is this. But in World War One, what changed is the battlefield left the areas outside the cities and came into the cities. And therefore people became involved in the war that didn't sign up for it. They weren't wearing a uniform. There were bombs going off not in the battlefield but in the communities, in the cities, in the suburbs. And you could have an attitude, wait, "Hey, wait a minute, this is not my war. I don't want to be involved." Too late. You're there if they're showing shooting, dropping bombs on you, you better wake up and do what's necessary to protect yourself. So it's important to wake up and realize we are in a war. And by all natural accounts, we're losing it. So we've got to understand who the combatants are, what's at stake, or else we'll just sit here in church saying yes, amen, and go do what we've been doing all along. And allow our families to be destroyed. And there's so much at stake. There's so much at stake with the choice that we make. For we have a choice, just like Joseph had a choice of whether he would listen to God's instructions and go to Egypt or do what he felt like doing, which is to roll over and go back to sleep. right. There are certain things you've got to do when you're in a war in order to win. And it starts with a determination you're going to win. It starts with a determination, which is a choice. I am going to win this war. Now, the war you need to win isn't all the church, all of the United States. It's just your family. But if you don't determine to win it, then you won't. Because I've got news for you. Your adversary is determined. That's why I read to you those verses. He knows his time's short. So he's desperate. At the end of World War II in the Pacific, as it became more and more clear that the allies were going to win the war and that the, that the days of, of Japan's empire was, was getting shorter and shorter, they became more desperate. And so they recruited these pilots called kamikaze pilots. And what they would do is fly an airplane and instead of coming down at a ship and shooting at it, they would just plow the airplane into the ship. How do you defend against that? How do you defend against an enemy that has no fear of dying because in their mind they've already died? They've already made the choice, I'm dead. I'm just going to take as many of my enemies out as I can. And that's the attitude of Satan. He has no illusions he's going to win. But he's so full of hatred of God that his determination is to take as many of his seed with him, of God's seed with him, as he can before the end is over. That's a fearsome enemy who doesn't fear losing because they never mind they've already lost. That's why in Revelation 12 I didn't read it to you. But it says, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, talking about us, and they loved not their life to the death. We have to come to the place, and that's the second point. The first thing is you have to be determined to win. The second thing is, you have to be willing to pay the cost. And the cost is your life. If you go into a war, and you're not prepared to die, you will get shot up, and you most likely will die because you'll react in fear you'll stand up you'll do something to protect yourself which by all instincts is there but it will be the wrong thing to do and you will get shot so you have to determine ahead of time this is not about my life I've given my life up you were supposed to do that when you came to Christ anyway isn't that the expression I gave my life to Jesus but what we mean by that is I joined the club I joined something. And that's so much the attitude of the church today. Because if I joined it, I can, I, can just, I can put my membership aside for a while. Now, the way you get into heaven is you give your life to him. Amen. That's why Paul says, don't you know that you're no longer your own? You've been bought with a price. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. You don't hear a lot of this today. Therefore, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. We gave our life to him. That's why Jesus said in, John's, in Matthew 7, he says, there are some of you going to come to me on that day and says, Lord, Lord, we did all these things for you. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Well, we called you Lord. Yeah, you called me Lord, he says, but you didn't do the things that I said to do. It's easy to say something, but the proof of what we mean is in what we do. Difficult words, but I'd rather hear them now than in that day when I can do something about it. All right. So the first thing is we have to be determined to win. The second thing is we've got to be willing to pay the price. What that means is you put all of you into it. This is not something, a side light like that you do. Understand this, men. Your job is not your purpose. Whatever it is. God's using that to provide for your family. But your job is the assignment God's given you over your wife and your children. That's your job that God's given you. That's an eternal job. And therefore, it requires that level of priority in my life above above my job. And for me, my job's serving God. But my first responsibility is my wife of 45 years and my children and my grandchildren. So much so that when I ended up in this position, God told me to take her aside and say to her, If you don't want to do this, we won't. And God told me, if she says no, you're excused. Because I want you to know, He says, and I want you to tell the board that. I want you you to know and I want her to know that she's first in your life above that church. And that's a protection to you as well as to her. And I have to go back to that commitment over and over again. Because we're human. We get distracted. Okay, i got to move along here. we got to put all of ourselves into it. In other words, we've got to do whatever it takes. Okay. The third thing. First is be determined to win. The second is be willing to pay the price. The third, do not quit until the victory is complete. You just determine, I don't care what comes, I will not quit. And you will have opportunities. But if you've made that, see, we made a decision when we were married, and we weren't saved, just that my parents had been divorced. We made a decision we were married, I don't care what comes, hell or high water, and they've all come. We will not divorce. We both thought of murder. <laughs> and there have been times when it was that commitment that held us together. You've got to make the commitment first because then you've got something to go back on when you make decisions. If you wait to make that decisions until you're in the battle, all the emotions go the other way. Number 4. Do not allow yourself to be distracted by anything that would hinder or delay. Do not allow yourself to be distracted by anything that would hinder or delay. Because almost everything that would hinder and delay, God's not going to ask you, how would you do with that? What He's going to ask you is, what did you do with your family? The first responsibility I gave you was your wife and your family. What did you do with them? That's what He's going to ask you first. And the fifth thing is set goals and develop strategies. Specific things you're going to change and do. The enemy of our seed is ruthless. He's determined, knowing that he's going to lose, and his goal is to spoil as many of God's seed as he can. Now, in this war, the ultimate responsibility for our families rests with us as fathers. We've been called and ordained by God to lead our families. But the good news, as overwhelming as this is, if God has called you, He is faithful to give you the grace and the ability He doesn't call you to do something. He doesn't go into it with you. But the reason He can't do more is we haven't made the commit. He won't do it until you pick the commitment up. He won't do it until you pick the commitment up. He wants your commitment first and then He will back you up. Because He's your Father. Okay. He'll do His part. He'll equip you he'll give you the grace but we must do our part he can't do our part now go back to Joshua 24 I want to show you the steps to take that's what we were reading before as for me and my house I stopped before we went any further we're going to pick up now with the next thing that happened. so Joshua has just said to them choose this day who you're going to serve but as for me and my house we're going to serve the Lord so the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we would forsake our Lord to serve other gods. So this is their words back to him. For the Lord our God is he who brought us up with our fathers out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, who did all the great signs in our sight, preserved us all the way we went among all the people who were not, whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwell on the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Oh yes, praise God. We're all going to make that commitment. Verse 19, Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord. Wait a minute, he just challenged them to serve Him. They said they'd do it, and he said you can't do that. Why? You cannot serve the Lord, for He is a holy God, and He is a jealous God, and He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then He will turn and do harm and consume you after He has has done good. In other words, he's saying this to them: It's easy to say you're going to serve him, but you will not have the ability to serve him until you get things right with him. So the first step for serving him is for us as men to get our lives right before him. I remember when I was first saved and discovered I wasn't—I, mean, I, you know—I didn't have a father that, knew, that led his household. I had a—I won't go into what where he did. I just didn't have, I didn't have an example in front of me. I didn't have any clue. And I got saved and began to read materials and discovered, whoa, wait a minute. I'm the head of my household in God's eyes. And I just went to him and said, what does that mean? And he was, God's so practical. I wish it was more theological, but it was really practical. He says, to be the leader means you do it first. So I wanted to tell them what to do. See, we men you know, we read Ephesians 5 and you know, wives are to submit to their husbands. So submit to me and I'll tell you what to do. No, no, no. You've got to do it first. You've got to do it first. 1 Corinthians 11, the beginning of that chapter, talks about God's divine order. Because what it shows you is that Christ reflects the Father to the... Christ, the Son, reflects the Father to us as fathers. And we are to reflect Christ to our wives. So God's divine order is the Father's father's glory is reflected in the Son. The Son's glory is reflected in us as fathers and that glory is reflected in our wives. So the way it ought to work is you ought to be able to look at my wife and see the glory of God. Because I'll tell you this much, the Son accurately reflects it to me. So if there's a breakdown in this order... Because I found that she will respond to what I do. And so the beginning of it is recognizing that I've got to get things right in my life. I can't be an example of something I'm not doing. I'm not perfect at it, but I've got to be fully committed to do it. That means I get rid of all the excuses. My past is hard for me. This isn't what this, you know, our culture is not like this we came from. They're all excuses. I don't see anything in my Bible that gives excuses. Joshua said, as for me and my household. As for me and my household. Because he is holy, we might start as men by living a righteous life first. Say, what does that mean? You know what it means. Just, it's real simple. Imagine yourself standing before God. Alone. And he gets to ask you questions about what you've been doing. And he already knows the answers because he's watched you do it. Number two. We must embrace fully the responsibility of our role for our family. God will do his part, but without this step of embracing that responsibility fully, that's what we're here to do today, we cannot be fully engaged in it. I, I, you, most, many of you know I'm a history buff. I enjoy it. Well, not a buff. I just enjoy it. And I've started to look at English history a little bit. And In 1066, there was a gentleman named William. who was known as William the Conqueror. Went into England from France with the intention of conquering and subduing all of England. They come over the English Channel in their boats. When they get onto English soil, the first order he gives to his soldiers is to burn their boats. Why? That's letting them know there's only two choices. We either win or we die. But we're not going back. It required, He forced a commitment out of them so that they knew that there was only those two choices. We have to win or we die. And that's what we have to see today. We have to make that level of a commitment. It's not just try hard. We can't try hard. We have to do it. We can't give us our best effort. That's not good enough. We have to do it. And that requires a wake-up call. Number three, so the first is we've got to get ourselves right before God. Second is embrace the responsibility. Number three, we must adopt God's goal for our family and the assignment that He has for all of our children and our family, which is this, to raise up our family so that they love God with all their heart and they serve Him with all their heart. What He has them do is up to them. It's not up to you. God doesn't look to you for vocational advice for His children. Those children belong to Him, not to you. They're entrusted to you and me, and we will give an account of our stewardship for them, but they are not your child. They are His children. They belong to Him, entrusted to you and me with that responsibility to impart to them what... That's far more important than whether they like us or love us, Because we're going to stand before God for whether we did our assignment or not. And it's real simple. That they love the Lord their God with all their heart and with all their might. And they love their neighbor as themselves. Everything else comes out of that. They can have the greatest accomplishments... You can give them piano lessons, dance lessons, soccer lessons, and that's wonderful. Nothing wrong with teaching them to achieve and accomplish. But if you don't build this into them, they're going to go to hell as a good dancer. They can do nice pirouettes in hell. And what's that going to mean? We'll be proud of how good they were at what they did. That's fine. Nothing wrong with it. But our responsibility to God is not to see how well they can dance, how well they can play the piano. Nothing wrong with it. Our first responsibility to God is to impart things into their hearts that are eternal. And I've got to tell you, I'm preaching to me this morning as much as to you. We all need this. Now here's what we're getting at. God's standard for our children and for us is not the world's standard oh you know that pastor no 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 I mean it's not even the church's standard because you see what I discovered this is what this movie did to me I realized what I had done is I had measured myself as a father by my father and since I was doing so much better because he wasn't even saved I felt good about what I was doing And I looked at other fathers and what they were doing in the church, certainly in the world. I felt pretty good about what I was doing. And this movie woke me up to God's standard. Because if you're not aiming at that, if you're just aiming at being as good as your father or better, if you're just aiming at being as good as those people around you, then you will not hit God's standards. And the line in that movie that was so powerful to me, there's one of them turned to the other father and says, but you know, but you're doing a good enough job. And he said, look at me, he says, good enough is not good enough. So we've got to take God's standard, not the world's standard, not the church's standard, because that's not working. The next thing, we have to accept the cost. We have to, and this is what it comes down to. As fathers, we've got to learn how to do things we don't want to do. And we've got to learn to do things we're not sure we can do. There's some things that are just natural and easy for the women to do in our family, and so we let it go to them, like praying with our family. My wife was so good at this. She taught each of our children. She made them memorize scriptures. So those are in them today. And I allowed her to do that because at the time I was busy being a pastor. This was years ago. And I let her do that because she wanted to do it, it was in her heart to do it, but I didn't take that responsibility back then. God's been gracious and I'll talk to you in a minute about how to handle the situations where you haven't done what you're supposed to do. God's been good and God's been gracious and honored prayer and, and but most of it's because of the seed she put in them. You have to learn to do things you may not be comfortable doing. For a lot of men it's not comfortable to read their Bible to their children. to not comfortable to, 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 to pray with their children. There's some practical things just to do with them. By the way, we kind of look at, well, to be a good father means I spend time with my children. That's the beginning of it. That's the beginning of it. It's got to be quality time where it's, I put it this way, it's time with a purpose. It's not just say, well, you know, I spent an hour with them on Saturday morning. What was the purpose of that hour? What were you consciously doing during that hour to instill things into them? That doesn't mean you've got to be preaching to him through the hour. Are you communicating with him? Are you valuing the opportunity? Remember the time's short. Give an example of something I had to learn to do. I made myself learn to do. Now, I didn't do this with our older children. We have two younger children. And uh, we were, they loved roller coasters and amusement parks, and so we would go on vacation to one of those. And I, I, As a child growing up, I never liked roller coasters. As a young adult, I liked them less. As a father, I like them even less. I, I believe God gave us the ground to stand on if he wanted us to ride on things like that. But my, these youngest sons love roller coasters. And I remember going to a park one day, looking at this enormous rickety thing and realizing I have to say goodbye to them while they go on the thing and wait for them. I can't do that. So I accepted the challenge. And I was in my hmm, 50s to ride my first roller coaster. And of course, they make you wind around through this whole thing, and you're hearing this thing. God, what am I you get me into here? I got on that thing with white right knuckles. I actually had fun. I overcame a fear and discovered I enjoy doing something with them that for years I wouldn't do before out of a fear. But I demanded something of myself because I'd grown and learned some things about my responsibilities as a father. Now, riding a roller coaster is a silly thing, but it meant something to them. That their dad did something with them that he didn't necessarily feel comfortable doing. Now, I'm, you know, you've got to use common sense and things like that. But I, but, but I will show you, I had to face a fear and do something that I didn't think I could do and I'd never done before. be willing to do the hard things and the most important thing is being an example to them the next point is we can't allow the issues and pressures of life to distract us or discourage us we've got to determine now that whatever comes along you will not quit remember that god is it's god's calling it's god's calling it's god's calling for your life god's calling for your life. Before anything else, determine now that whatever comes along, you will not quit. And the last thing is, is the urgency. We've only got these children for a few short years. My goodness. Turned around the other day and realized I got a, we got an 18-year-old granddaughter. I don't know where that happened. Our next granddaughter is about to turn Nine. We've got a grandson that's about to turn, we're going to turn eight this year, going on 28. He walks around and he says, when I run this place, <laughs> he's a dreamer, he's already planning. And that blesses me. It blesses me, whether that's God, you know, God's will for him, but, he's, but, but my point is, that I forgot what my point was. What was my point? <laughs> I got off on my grandkids. <laughs> Pick one. Short time yes, how fast they grow up. how fast they grow up. We have them for a shoot. So I'm learning we watched our grandson yesterday for a little I do I just had a special time with him and, and realizing you know, I'm tr- gotten ready for today. I try to take it easy on Saturday and I just decided these are precious moments. sat next to him in the concert Friday and, I, and the conscience going on I just spent time just looking at him just treasuring the moments. I'll never get him back again. We get so busy, so focused on other things that ultimately are not that important compared to these moments' of time. But it's not just spending the moment, it's then doing it with a purpose of imparting something. Again, it doesn't have to be quoting scripture to him. It can be just loving on him. Just speaking positive things to his life. Living an example before him. That's the responsibility we have. And the time is short. And our time here is short. Okay. I want to say a word to some others about some specific things, and then we're going to do this. <clears throat> the first thing is, this is great, Pastor, if I'm just starting out with my first, my family. But many of you have raised families, or you have families, whether you've raised them or not. And they're not where they need to be. And you realize, not just today, but other times, you've made mistakes, you haven't done what you can do. What do I do now? Is it hopeless? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. With God, there's always hope. It begins with this. You've got to repent. Even if you didn't know any better, repent and ask God to forgive you because what that does is you've got to get rid of the guilt first. Satan's weapon of paralyzing us as parents from exercising our faith is to pound our head with you didn't do this and you didn't do this and you didn't do this and you didn't do this. I was blessed so much years ago by a well-known speaker that was here. I mentioned that's this person's name on television, well-known. And they mentioned this because they were having a son struggling with drugs and yet had an international ministry. said so I went to God about this and said, God, how can I be in ministry when my son is, is struggling with this stuff? And God says, well, my first one didn't do, do well either. Adam. God is a pretty good father because they all have a will of their own. We are here to influence their will and give them a foundation to work on, but ultimately they make their own choice. So it starts with forgiving yourself, putting that under the blood, and letting it go. Put it into God's hands, let it go. And then go on. Because you can't do anything about the past. All the past can do is ruin the future. And make a clean start, a clean commitment starting today. Next thing. I want to talk to you parents who either have old or older children that are grown out of the house, have grandchildren. Our responsibility is not, does not end when you take their bedroom and convert it into a jacuzzi. it doesn't end when they leave that had been my great hope I'm still a father I still listen with the ear of a father when I get a phone call telling them what they're doing and you're you you know you're listening do I need to say something here do I my role changes but my responsibility is still there to pray to be there as a resource to speak when there's an opportunity to speak when it's open and they want to hear so that doesn't change. And then with my, grand- grand- my grandchildren, I have a responsibility. So that doesn't end just because our children are out of the house. I want to say something to those of you that don't have children. Either you're single, but before that, I want to say something to single mothers. You were not intended by God to have to bear that alone, that's not God's design for however you ended up in that situation. That's not not important right now. Know this. God knows you're trying to handle something that you're not fully equipped to handle. God designed that this project requires a male and a female working together in a covenant relationship. And if you are in a situation where you're having to raise children without, without that counterpart, that male counterpart... Understand this, God knows your task. And His grace is there to help you. Not only that, it's God's will, I believe, and this is what I'm praying about, that the church itself can begin to fill in and provide some of that help that you're not able to provide. And we already have some examples of that that I could tell you about, but I don't want to embarrass anybody this morning. I want to talk to you that are single or you're married and have just never had any children. Say, this has been nice, but how does this relate to me? Because we're a covenant family church community. We're not individuals looking at what's going on in other people's lives, but we're here, one another, together. And what we're going to enter into today, you're going to be part of as well as the fathers that are going to make that commitment. Prayer, faith, be there. Maybe you could be that mentoring father to a a child whose mother who does not have a father. Maybe you could be a father even though you've not brought one forth from your own body. We've got to learn to stop just looking at ourselves and what we're getting. And begin to look at God, what can I give? What do you have for me to give? Joshua 24, let's pick up in verse 21. We've got to end here. So Joshua's answer to the people was, the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Let's go to verse yeah. And Joshua said to the people, you are a witness against yourselves today that you've chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve Him. And they said, we are witnesses. So he's given them a challenge. They've said, we're going to do it. And he said, all right, now you're going to make a commitment and you are a witness against yourself. In other words, you're making words now that are significant. Because your performance is going to be measured against the words you're issuing today. We say, we make so many casual commitments. And this is a commitment God will hold us to. He'll give us the grace to do it, but He'll hold us to this commitment. Now therefore, verse 23, put away foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord our God Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God will serve, we will serve and the voice His voice we will obey. And Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and ordinance, ordinance in Shechem. And he wrote these words in the book of the law of God and he took a large stone set it under the oak and that was in the sanctuary of the Lord. What we're going to do today is that. We're not going to Write it in the book of the law, and we're not going to set a stone. But in a moment, I'm going to have the fathers of this church. I'm going to give you an opportunity to stand and to make a commitment together, which I will give you in a moment. What I'm going to actually ask you to do once you stand is to come forward and to face your family in this congregation. Not yet, because there's something else I want to do. Why don't you tell you ahead of time what I'm going to do? And here's my instructions. I only want you to come forward if you're prepared to make this commitment before God. If you are not prepared yet, I respect that and I honor that. I would far much rather have ten men come up who seriously are ready to make that commitment and everybody else say, well, I'm not ready yet, but I want to be there. I'm much, this is sincere. This is between you and God before this congregation. Before I do that, I want to do one other thing. Because part of this stand is to make sure you're right with God. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to give you that opportunity before we make this commitment. I want to give you a chance to make a commitment of your life to Him. I'm going to simplify this from the way I usually do this. If you have never given your life to Jesus Christ then the Bible says that when you breathe your last breath, you're not going to go to heaven. You're going to go to hell. The good news is you can today change that. God's not mad at you because He loves you. But you've got to do things His way. He won't do things your way. And the only way to get into heaven, the Bible says, is through Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. If you've never received him as your savior and as your Lord, or if you have received him in the past, but you're not walking with him this morning, I want to pray for you before we do this commitment. And just ask you to raise your hand so that I know as I'm across this congregation. All right, here's what I'm gonna do. You're a father here. That doesn't mean your children can be grown and you're still a father and a grandfather or whatever. And you want to make this commitment. I'm going to ask you to stand on your feet right now. Here's what we're going to do. The ushers are going to go through and they're going to hand you a sheet that has this commitment we're about to make. Now, there's something else we'll do with that at the end, but but right now I want to give it to you. Wait till the ushers have handed them all out. Well, let's do this. Once you've received it, I want you to come forward here. And when you come forward, I want you to turn and face the congregation. I've got to tell you, this is a scary sight to Satan. Again, if you've chosen not to come at this point, I respect your choice. Because what I'm looking for is honesty and sincerity at this point. Don't worry, people around you think it's none of their business. God knows your heart. I'm just waiting for Charles to come. Come walk, that's okay. Here's what we're doing, just so everybody's clear. I'm going to lead these men and join them. This is a commitment that we are making to our families. As members of this congregation, we're part of this together. Because have, you have a stake in whether we do this or not. We need your faith. We need your prayers. We need your help, your commitment to us. Because we're all in this together. To carry this commitment out before God. I make a commitment to you men as the pastor of this church, and I need God's wisdom to know how to carry this out, that as a church, we're going to help you do this. We're going to find ways to support you and help you to live this commitment out. Because to simply say this today, on our own, we can't do this. We need each other. I want to say this because those of you that have made this commitment together, you need to be willing to turn to somebody else later on and say, I'm struggling with this. I need prayer. I need help. This is what we're going to do. All right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you gentlemen, we're going to go through this together. First of all, before we do, Father, we're about to make a solemn commitment before you and our brethren here to our families. We ask for your grace to carry this commitment out every day. We ask the Holy Spirit to bring back to our remembrance what we're doing today, that we may remember in those difficult situations when we have choices to make, this stand that we have taken today, that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Repeat this with me. I solemnly make this commitment before God and the family of Faith Christian Center. I take full responsibility for myself for my wife and my children. I will love them, protect them, serve them, and teach them the word of God as the spiritual head of my family. I will be faithful to my wife to love and honor her and willingly lay my life down for her as Christ did for the church. I will bless my children And teach them to love God with all their hearts, all their minds, and all their strength. I will train them to honor authority and to live responsibly. I will confront evil, pursue justice, and love mercy. I will pray for others and treat them with kindness, respect, and compassion. I will work diligently to provide for the needs of my family. I will forgive those who have wronged me and reconcile with those I've wronged. I will learn from my mistakes, repent of my sins, walk with integrity as a man answerable to God. I will seek to honor God, be faithful to His church, Obey His, Obey His Word and do His will. Do His will. I, will I will courageously work with the strength God provides to fulfill, to fulfill this resolution for the rest of my life, for of my life and for His glory. And for His glory. Amen. amen. and Amen. Yeah, go ahead. Praise God. Can we do that?